It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer web radio show brought to you by Calm Box Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, author of Chicken Poop or Chicken Fact, National Spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds Program and Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, heritage poultry, oh, we had a little glitch there, sorry about that, homesteading and living a self sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at inwhisperer.com where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kombach Feeds. At Kombach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com or order your layer pellets and crumples today on amazon.com Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer here to tell you that if you have backyard poultry, nothing is more important than making sure your feathered friends are safe from infectious poultry diseases. Learn the simple steps to keep your birds healthy by visiting this website healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov that's healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. A message from the USDA. 
Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at strombergschickens.com. That's strombergschickens.com. Sweet PDZ has been keeping horse stalls ammonia-free and healthy for nearly 33 years. However, ammonia is ammonia, regardless of the species producing it. Therefore, it will do the same great job in your chicken coops and brooders. Sweet PDZ safeguards flock health by neutralizing and eliminating harmful levels of ammonia and odors. Safe and effective moisture absorption. All-natural, non-toxic, premium-grade zeolite mineral. Contains no masking scents or chemical perfumes. Safe and beneficial to dispose with waste on compost and gardens. Learn more at SweetPDZ.com. That's SweetPDZ.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. The Yard Bird Chicken Plucker takes the hassle out of backyard chicken processing by fully defeathering birds in less than 15 seconds. The compact size makes it easy to transport and easy to store. The one and a half horsepower motor and 20 inch stainless steel tub can handle two eight pound birds at the same time. There are no belts or pulleys to wear out and no adjustments necessary, which makes it virtually maintenance free. For more information about how you can own this must-have chicken processing product, visit YardbirdChickenPluckers.com today. That's YardbirdChickenPluckers.com. And the Mighty Bird Against Prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky... You'll know it's Super Chicken... Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Alrighty, thanks so much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Combox Feeds. Okay, wow, uh, I guess many announcements and updates and, and just about anything uh, before we get started with the show. And let me tell you, today's show is going to be fabulous. We've got poultry veterinarian and epidemiologist Dr. Maurice Pateski joining us. We're going to be talking a little bit about, now we could probably do a whole show on all three of these, but we just want to give you a really good overview on kind of what these mean, how they occur, and how we can deal with them if we see it in our flock. Prolapse vent, vent gleat, and egg binding. So um, we're going to be talking a little bit about that today with Dr. Maurice Pateski. Um, let me think. First and foremost, I had a list in my brain, and of course it just disappeared. I guess uh, turning 50 next year is really creeping up on me fast. But I do want to talk to you about and, and let you know that 
the eight-week meat, small-scale meat bird production program, I guess we did, is now over. It is complete. And, man, it was fabulous. Out of all the things I've ever done, uh, I'm telling you, I got so many incredible comments, so many encouraging comments. Um, it was it just made me feel like I was doing the right thing and, and that I – and I'm really glad that I did that. So what we did was, if you obviously you've been following us on Facebook, you know all about it. And you can go back and, and look at all the videos we've done over the last eight weeks. But um, I wanted to do, I personally think that based on the backyard poultry movement that's been going strong now for about 10 years, uh, started to creep up a little bit longer than that, but 10 years it's been going hot and heavy. And I really believe uh, from everything I've seen and people I've talked to that the next big quote-unquote thing in the backyard poultry movement is going to be small-scale meat production, having a separate coop in your backyard, doing 8, 10, 12 uh, meat birds, um, and, and processing them, and I, I think that's going to be the next big thing, and I'll tell you why. Uh, Ten years ago versus this last week, uh, over the last eight weeks, talking to people and, and you know about small-scale meat bird production in a backyard setting, uh, we still get the same three answers. We get an answer of, no, I could never do that. I never will. Uh, we get, um, you know, I probably would not do this. I don't think I'd be able to do this, but I'm here to learn the training on how to do this in case I need to do this as, i.e., it hits the fan or survivalist type stuff, whatever, feed your family. And then we still have the, the third group, and this group is expanding, and it's the group that, you know, hey, uh, I thought I'd never be able to do this. I thought I would never want to do this. But you know what? After eight years, five years, whatever, uh, of keeping backyard chickens, um, yeah, I couldn't do this with the chickens I have now. They're named. They're my pets. Uh, they're, you know, they're my egg layers. I get that. But now that I've seen the benefit of this, now that I've gotten a little bit, I've got the garden now, I've got the compost bin, I've got the water collection barrels, I have these hens that are laying the eggs. Um, I'm not ready to go to the goat thing yet or maybe the milk cow thing. But, but you know what? I am ready now to do some small-scale backyard meat bird production. Um, of course, I won't name them. I'll try to be detached for them, but I see the benefit of feeding my family with these wonderful eggs, and I see all the other benefits from, from the layer hens, and now I really want to get into to see if I can get into the meat bird production. So this program was fabulous because it started with getting our 11, uh, and I went with the fast meat birds because I wanted to do that first. The next group we'll do is a slower-growing meat bird, and then we'll do a dual purpose. And then you can decide uh, based on how much food it took, how long it took, how much cost. You can decide what's best for you. So we did the Cornish cross meat birds. We got them from Cackle Hatchery. Uh, they sent them to us, and we put them in our GQF, awesome GQF universal brooder box. Um, and we, they, they stayed in the brewer box for three weeks, and then we weighed them every single day uh, for about three weeks to show you the growth. We showed you how much food they were eating, how much water they were drinking, uh, how much they were pooping, and we did use the sweet PDZ Cooper Fresher in the brewer box itself. worked fabulous. Um, and then at three weeks, they went out to the coop, small, six by ten, backyard-style coop that anybody would have in their backyard. We did that for a purpose to show folks. We put the shavings down. We added shavings one time in the eight-week period. Uh, we saw and documented how they grew. Then we started weighing them once a week. Um, we, even at week, I think it was six, we still showed you they were still very active. They were still taking dust baths. They were still chasing bugs around the coop the whole nine yards. We, we never saw the big issues that people claim that come with raising these fast-growing uh, meat birds. And we end up having some big birds. Um, my goal was to do uh, seven to eight weeks and then uh, having a bird that was six and a half to seven pounds. Well, we exceeded that. The, the, the hens were around six and a half uh, to six and three-quarter pounds. We may even had a hen that was made up at seven pounds, but the hens, uh, six and a half 
uh, six and a half to six and three quarter pounds. The big boys, and we had some big ones. The roosters, they were, I mean, we, they were eight, eight pounds um, easy. And we may even had some that, that were over eight pounds. And we still didn't have some issues with that. Um, and uh, through that, through this 11 week period, eight, eight meat birds. What? Oh, it's in the truck. Because I was getting ready to go. Mr. Sorry, my wife is asking me a question. Um, and so. Um, uh, of the meat. So we went through three and a half bags, the 50-pound bags, of a general start-to-finish um, uh, meat bird, uh, start-to-finish 20% protein. Uh, so three and a half bags, in fact, the cost of that, the birds. And then we had uh, Dr. McCray from Auburn University. She came over and spent three days here. And uh, the first night, we got everything together. Uh, then the second day, when we invited homeschoolers and 4-Hers over, we processed the birds. We left five whole. Uh, well, actually, we left them all whole, and then we put up in the ice bath. And, you know, the, anyway, and then the next day, uh, that morning, we did video and, and we cut some up. We left five whole, and the other six, I think we cut up into parts like fryers and things. So um, it was a fabulous opportunity. And I got so many emails uh, with folks saying, oh, my gosh, I'm glad you shared this with me. Uh, you know, I just went out. I had somebody say, I, I went and got my meat merch today uh, because this is such an awesome opportunity. I'm so glad you shared this. And so many other people were on that fence. You know, I, I think I really want to try to do this, but, wow, I'm not really sure. Meat birds. I mean, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be, you know, corporate, you know, all this, you know, hey, man. And they were like, wow, what an eye-opener. And it was, it was easy. Y'all saw it, video, every single day, uh, several, okay, weighing, it was fabulous. So we're done with that project. Um, uh, I, I think we're doing some other promotion other than a book tour. So guess what? Guess what that means? We're going to do the next Meat Bird experience here in the next couple of weeks. We're going to do either a, a red boiler or a black boiler that's going to be sm slower growing than the Big Cornish Cross, but it'll be slower growing, and we'll see how many bags, how long is this going to take, uh, what are the size of the birds when we're done. Once that's done, guess what? We're going to do a dual purpose, like a black ostrilor. How many bags of feed? How long did it take? How much poop? How much water? How much work? How much cost? And then you can see at the end of the day which way you want to go. I mean, you know, hey, life is hectic. Life is busy. Money is, you know, time is money and money is money. So maybe, again, these, these Cornish cross meat birds that have been genetically developed over the years, hey, 11 weeks, I'm sorry, eight weeks, <laughs> eight, uh, eight weeks in time, big seven-pound, eight-pound birds, three-and-a-half bags of feed, um, and then, you know, what, three bucks a chicken? Uh, so, I mean, I think we ended up in an article I just wrote for Acreage Life, ended up being about $9 a bird. Um, and they were much bigger birds than you'd buy in the store for cheaper than that, obviously. But you, you can do whatever you want to do. If you want to do all organic, that, the organic feed, that's fine. Do that. Um, and then you can factor in costs from there. So that was that was fabulous. And that, that we're going to get ready in the next couple of weeks, and we're going to do the, the uh, slower growers. So get ready for that. We'll do the same thing. Really excited with that. Um, the hurricane doesn't look like it's coming our way. We've been watching it daily. Uh, this morning, the local Atlanta, no, we're north of Atlanta, northeast Georgia, but the local Atlanta affiliate, uh, WSB, uh, ABC, whatever, they said that it's, not, it's just going to be a little bit of a rainmaker and even not that much rain uh, and probably not a wind event at all. So so we're, we're clear there. For a while there, we were like, okay, we need to start, you know, get things ready, but it's just going to be a, a, just nothing for us here. Thank goodness. But prayers go out to the folks up in North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, because um, y'all are, woo, it's, it's rearing its ugly head right now with you guys. So hunker down, bucker down, leave, whatever you're going to do, and our prayers will be with you. So hang in there. 
Uh, let me see what else is going on. Um, uh, something else. Oh, I wanted to share with you this as well. And I'm going to have Dr. Pateski, first thing we're going to do is ask, make, I want to confirm this uh, from, from all of my research and, and asking around. Uh, anyway, so winter is coming up. Fall is, uh, fall is upon us. Winter is coming up. There's starting to be a lot of information out there on blogs and forums about uh, things to do for fall and winter and molting and all that. But one of the things that's rearing its ugly head again is this issue about adding light to the coop to maintain egg production. Of course, we know the science behind that, 14 to 16 hours of light every day to maintain egg production through the winter, and then people have all their opinions. Oh, I'm not going to do it. I want them to rest naturally. Oh, I am going to do it because if I'm paying for feed, then I'm going to get as many eggs as I can out of these grills, da 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 I have seen this week alone four or five posts on four or five different chicken forums where someone has said, and I thought this kind of myth had, had, reared, had, had disappeared, but it's reared its ugly head again. Someone had said, um, y'all need to know that if you add light to the coop and, and force them to lay through the winter, that you're limiting the number of eggs you're going to get from that hen over their lifetime because a hen only has so many eggs, and if you force them to lay in the winter, you're going to get fewer eggs. They're going to run out of eggs. They're not going to, you're going to get fewer eggs during the life of that hen if you do that. And um, so I did a couple of videos on this, uh, Instagram. Oh, that was the other thing I was going to tell you about. I'm on Instagram now. The Real Chicken Whisperer. So check that out over on Instagram if you're into that. The Real Chicken Whisperer. And follow me on Instagram. Now that's out of the way. But I did a couple of videos, and I said, guys, false information, bad information, that, that, this, that, there's approximately, this we'll, we'll ask Dr. Um, uh, Pateski about this, about 4,000 eggs in, 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 in an ovary in a hen. 4,000. I don't care what you do. I don't care how you raise them. Organic, garlic, sea kelp, apple cider vinegar, do nothing but laying pellets. You're not going to get 4,000 eggs out of that hen in their lifetime. I don't care how long they live. I don't care what you give them. It's not going to happen. <laughs> so, so, but that's reared its ugly head. So I wanted to share that with you on the podcast. If you don't do so, so much social media, but listen to the podcast, guys, thank you so much. That is uh, approximately 4,000 eggs. We'll clarify that with Dr. Potesky here in just a second. Um, and so this issue about, oh, they run out of eggs if you add light in the winter, it's, it's, it's a moot point. Don't fall into that trap. And then we talked about the Instagram thing. Um, let me think if there's anything I'm excited that, that well, you know, I'm kind of bummed because uh, that we're doing something a little bit different than the book tour, going to Florida, so, so we won't be traveling, which allows me to do the next Meat Bird project with all of you guys. So I'm excited about that. And you can see all those videos over on our Facebook page. So let's get over here to the phone lines because I know you're here. Hopefully you got your paper and your pen and you're ready to learn about these topics. And it'll be an overview, but a little bit of each. We could do a whole show on, on these topics. We're just going to do an overview, kind of what it is, how it happens, try to how to prevent it, and then maybe some, some treatments as well if we see this in our backyard. So let me go to the phone lines here and bring on our really good friend, uh, Dr. Maurice Pateski. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. Good good to be here, Andy. Thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. So so thank you. So am I close to the accuracy number of, of about 4,000 eggs in an ovary with, with a hen. From from what I've seen, I, I, we've, we've talked about it on the show over the last decade, trying to remember that. And so then my, my quick research and some text here to there, uh, is that 3,500, 4,000 eggs in, in an ovary roughly? Am I close? <laughs> I'm I'm going to plead ignorance on that part of the comment, but also, but I am going <laughs> to agree with you on the, um, that's a great trivia question, by the way. But I am going to say that yes, you you will not run out of. I've never I've never heard that logic um, that that you would actually eventually if if you tried to have your birds produce the winter, which is is commonly done in all kinds of 
settings and environments sure. um, that you would that, that then you would be sacrificing eggs on the on the flip side in in in, in several in several years. You know, if, if you if you f- follow that four thousand number, you know, we're we're talking about almost ten years <laughs> of eggs. So if, if your if your hen is living ten years, that's you're doing you're doing great. Uh, and if uh, at the end of ten years, if you actually ran out of eggs, then um, that would be a problem that we would address at that. Yeah, point. and then that's laying. Then that's laying what every what every day for ten years would be. Uh, yeah, I mean we're approaching that number anyway. So yeah, you're yeah, only eight, eight nine years there. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So, so hey, no problem. Yeah, I'll put you on the spot there, but but everything I've read, that's pretty darn close. But you can do too much think. light. So so people do have that problem every yeah. once in a yeah. while where they do too much light, and that's when you start getting some of these double yokers and you can get some behavior issues and, and things like that. So um, like everything, you know, you don't want to do anything in excess, and, and your 14- to 16-hour um, kind of rule is, is certainly appropriate. You know, And a lot of this depends on where you live and what the latitude is where you live. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's a little more challenging in the backyard world to always answer that question perfectly. And then there's so many different breed characteristics. So, you know, in yeah. the in the commercial world, we only use a handful of different breeds, so we really understand how much light they need. And with LED LED lights, excuse me, people are getting really, really dialed in on what types of wavelengths of light you need. Um, you can have behavior. Um, you can modify behavior. You can modify production with these LED lights that are so specific to specific uh, to certain wavelengths now. Um, so so people are really starting to get that kind of dialed in, and, and LED lights are relatively inexpensive now. So um, I think I think for backyarders, like you were talking about the trend of, of meat, and I think that is coming. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that in California. Um, and I think you right. will see um, people starting to, to get a little more creative um, with some of the LED lights because it, it allows people to really dial in um, you know, different types of wavelengths. And, and the reality is with the different breeds that everyone has, um, I think there's going to be some experimental stuff going on as far as you know what types of of um, of spectra people want to want to utilize. So I think that that'll be coming relatively soon too. If I had to put my uh, I had to look in my crystal ball of, of what uh, types of <laughs> will be out there in the next uh, year. Or so speaking of what's coming up, and I, yesterday I think I did a Facebook live on this. Uh, I printed off two uh, articles of insect. Um, meal. So uh, both the the EU is looking at coming around to approve insect meal for poultry. I mean, I know it's been approved, they said in the article, for different types of of, uh, fish, raising fish, you know, not not wild, but, you know, container fish, and then uh, tilapia or whatever, and salmon, and uh, maybe maybe pigs, I think, and, and, and hogs, but it hasn't been approved for poultry. And then also here in the U.S., the FDA is looking at a official, what was the word, defining use of black soldier fly larvae in, in poultry as a protein replacement in, in poultry feed for of soybeans. I mentioned this to the folks at Kalmbach, uh, the president and the vice president at our at this past March, and I just said, hey, this is something we probably need to start looking at because if you are the first one to have your product on the shelf in the tractor supplier, the local feed and seed store, and it's got plastered on there, protein, uh, insect-based protein, then the, I think, again, uh, there's a certain folk that are involved in this backyard movement that are going to be all over that, um, and I also was curious to see. I mentioned how it would affect the 
corporate guys, I won't name names, that often talk about um, all vegetarian fed diet. When I guess we and we know why they do that, and we but we kind of know that that's really not a. You could argue that's not a chicken's all a natural diet. So are you feeding your chickens a non-natural diet for poultry? So we can argue that all day long, but it'll be interesting to see if that becomes a big deal. And then the, the bottom line is cost, because soybean the protein is so plentiful here, it's uh, so cost effective. Would it be cost? Um, warranted to, to even offer that on the store shelves um, to maybe a smaller group of people who'd be interested in that, just like the, the, the GMO or the organic, and now we have insect-based. But I think the challenge is, uh, Doc, is, is how to, because just eating insects in your backyard, everybody thinks, oh, this is great, this is their natural behavior, but that leads to other issues like internal parasites and other possible diseases and disease vectors, which insects, I guess, are, um, how to get it or process it I'm guessing heat it up to a certain degree to where it kills all those um, nasties and, uh, and the bacteria and whatnot. And so then you can't have it in a meal to, to replace a protein source in the feed. So that may be coming in, in years to come, looking at uh, insect protein-based chicken feed or poultry feed. Yeah, so that that's a really interesting and timely topic for all the reasons that you just mentioned. So um, it just <laughs> happens our our lab, in, in collaboration with a couple other uh, entomology lab and an engineering lab at UC Davis, um, we've we've done some experiments um, with using black soldier fly larvae, and um, we published a paper and we're publishing another one right now. But 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 the kind of kind of gestalt of it is is really interesting. So our data suggests that you can feed. Um, um, hens, up to 20% of their diet is black soldier fly larvae, um, and that uh-huh. does not affect production. It doesn't affect the uh, taste or quality of the eggs. doesn't affect any welfare issues. And then the big, the big question is, as, as companies get a little more um, streamlined in producing these black soldier fly larvae, um, in theory, it could be much less expensive um, to produce than uh, corn and soy, because corn and soy... You know, that's that's uh, you're displacing calories that could be used by humans. Uh, black soldier fly larvae, not yet. So humans aren't aren't uh, <laughs> waiting in line to yeah. eat that yet. Eat that version of soil and green yet. So that might change. There's a lot of companies that are working on that issue too. That's a, that's a kind of a different issue. But um, it is interesting how um, I I think that will drive feed costs down eventually. That that's pretty much the whole goal of that. Um, and and you need less land for it. So as, as all the arable land is basically being farmed at this point. Ah. Um, so and, and, someone will um, take that and say, hey, that, guess what? That's less environmental impact. Exactly, yeah. And it's actually interesting. Yeah. There, are some, there are some companies that say, well, sure, it is an animal, but the reality is is that, you know, for people that it, it, it's not it, – it, people consider insects obviously different. So I think the interesting question for vegetarians <laughs> or for people that want their poultry fed a vegetarian diet is like, well, where do you draw the line? Because do right. insects follow kind of the, the spirit of, of, of for them of being a vegetarian? So. It's an interesting question, and um, like I said, there's really a lot of is. people that are starting to move in this, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of venture capital and a lot of investing going on in those in those uh, in those in that area of uh, of agriculture wow. right now. Yeah, interesting stuff. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine though. I mean, you'd be the, first, the again, you got to they got to start now, being the first one to put that bag on the on the shelf. You know, mm-hmm. insect protein based uh you know so 20% y'all found is kind of the magic number up to uh 20% but now you said um i guess at the end of the day y- y'all saw really no change in anything so at the end of the day what if it's going to cost 
more initially. You say maybe long term it, it could be much less, but at, for the niche market of say, hey, I'm going to have to pay ten dollars more a bag, but because it's insect insect based protein, were there any advantages? If it, if it sounds like everything was just there's no disadvantages we see, but were there any advantages uh, at, at the end of the day? Did y'all get into that? No, Versus, and, and uh, that's a, so that's an interesting question. So at the, at the beginning, right right now, there are no advantages aside from what the long-term advantage might be, which would be uh-huh. a reduction in cost. But I think what we were most, and I think what most people are concerned about, so for example, if you had fish meal, which is very commonly uh-huh. used in some parts of the world to poultry feed, if you go, go above 1% or 2%, you get a fishy taste in your eggs. Um, uh, and you can see there's a very various types of feed. So, so the concern is at what point does the egg, uh-huh. you know, kind of uh, taste or smell or look different? And that's what we were basically trying to look at. Like, are we seeing differences yet? Okay. And, and we didn't we didn't go above 20 percent, but you know, the, the the question then is like, well, how high can you go? Um, I was I'm always wrong, but I I always you know kind of stick my head up and say what I think. And I I was sure we would have some kind of off flavor because insects, you know, when you talk to people that eat like the insect potato chips and things like that, um, which are out there and and commercial and available to to, to you and I, people always say there's like this kind of um, slightly bitter flavor. So I figured that would come through at some point, but um, we did a bunch of taste panels and we didn't see any changes in the yolk color or yolk quality um, like I said, no behavior changes in the birds, which is also really important. Um, so it, it's a very interesting, very interesting topic, and it's interesting I mean, to see FDA is always very conservative about you know kind of adopting new protocols. Um, and it's uh-huh. interesting that unfortunately birds are kind of caught up in the in the regulatory kind of ease of of not being able to. You can't feed them insects, even though they basically insects is part of their natural you know kind of their natural behavior. Uh-huh. So it'll it'll be interesting to see how FDA. Um, kind of respond to this, and if the EU kind of takes the lead on it or, or, or something like that. Last question, and we'll get to our topic today, because I was brainstorming here. You said that you all fed them up to 20%. Now, I'm, I'm brainstorming. Does that mean, um, let's say if my bag of feed, my layer pellets, for example, is a 16% or a 17% layer, 20% of that protein up to was a, a Twenty percent that makes up that seventeen percent number on my bag was was uh, meal uh, was the uh, black soldier fly, or you said we gave them, or all one hundred percent of that twenty percent protein on that bag was was the black. See, see what I'm saying? Did did you use twenty yep. percent of the total protein, or the, like we used a twenty percent protein feed, and that twenty percent was all from the uh, black soldier fly? I think it's the latter, and, and what we did, so we're okay. all on the same page to, to make sure is that we, maybe this answers your question in, in, in more detail than you want, but basically we, we took some black soldier fly larvae, we sent them to a nutrition lab, and we said, okay, tell us how many of each one of these amino acids are in the black soldier fly. And then once we figure that out, then we, we use that in combination with our regular ration to come up with a total mixed ration that, that provided the necessary amino acids like methionine and leucine that are, and lysine, excuse me, that are, um, that, 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 you know, we, we've kind of dialed in or nutritionists have dialed in how much we need. So the, the total mixed right. ration included the amino acids from the black soldier fly larvae and the amino acids from the, the corn and soy that they normally get in order to get a ration that was um, appropriate for, you know, their, their age and their breed and everything. Does that answer your question? Okay, cool. 
Yeah, it does. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe to the point that whoever gets the bag on the shelf first may do something like, hey, uh, 10% of the protein in this feed comes from uh, black soldier fly larvae. Mm-hmm. I think that the real challenge, and, and I know we want to talk about other things too, but it's an interesting topic. The real challenge <laughs> is that growing the, the black soldier fly larvae is, is relatively easy, uh-huh. but growing them the same way each time so they have the same exact amino acid concentration is, is not trivial. And is, is, as far as I understand, um, is, is not really can't be done yet. Um, there's too many variables. So it is kind of interesting that at each time it's, you kind of make it in a batch method, and each time the batches come out a little different, um, and then you've got to um, kind of dial in that, uh, the amino acids in that batch with your with your the, the rest of your ingredients in order to make a, a total mixed ration that that that's balanced for the birds. So it, that that can be a, a slight challenge also. Fascinating stuff. That's crazy. Um, yeah. So let's let's get to our topic today. Hopefully, <laughs> people are finding this interesting listening. Um, but yeah, kind of prolapse vent. And egg binding, we wanted to touch on today for folks. I had a couple of people ask me about it, doing some Facebook Live videos, and um, you know, we I just gave them some basic information I've heard here before about the prolapse vent. But I said, you know what, this, I know where to go to get the uh, the information we need. So here we are. So I'll let you start and and roll with it. Yeah, well, um, it's an important topic, um, and um, I think it's it's one of the more frustrating topics I think for a lot of backyard owners. Um, because I think, as a lot of us know, it, it's sometimes hard to find uh, veterinary care for our chickens. Um, that's just the, the way things are. And we're, I know there's a lot of uh, veterinary schools that are trying to address that um, because we realize that, um, you know, dogs, cats, horses, and cows, that, that, that poultry are not just commercial anymore. Um, this is a trend in, in, uh, in backyard poultry ownership, and, and people are really embracing it, and it, 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 it seems like it's here to stay. Um, so it is something that uh, I think veterinary schools are, are really aware of, that they need to train um, whether you're going to be a small animal vet or a food animal vet or a dairy vet. Um, they, they need to make sure that um, they're trained in, in, in how to deal with poultry. So the one thing I'll, I'll mention is that so when we think about you know prolapsed um, vents and egg-bound hens and uh, vent gleet, which is just another way of saying thrush, which is just a fungal infection, which I'll, I'll talk about um, in a little. Um, the most important thing to really focus on is, is, is I always say biosecurity at this point, but the reality is the most important thing to really focus on is husbandry at this point. Um, so you know the, the the reality is once you have the problem. Um, you know, there's two things you need to realize. One is um, it, it, you have to obviously, you know, a lot of these birds are, are pets and we want our pets to feel better. So we obviously want to make them feel better. Um, but you have to look at kind of take a step back and look at the big picture also. And the big picture is that there's probably some kind of husbandry problem related to this. It could be related to nutrition, could be related to behavior. Um, it could be related to a whole host of things, which we'll talk about, but, but it's really important to kind of take that step back and think like, okay, we're, we're going to treat this bird or, 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 or not, but we also want to think about, okay, that's one bird. That's probably the tip of the iceberg. Um, if, if one bird in our flock is having that problem, it would not surprise anyone if other uh, two, three, four, five, six uh, of that, those birds in that same flock started having that same problem. Um, and they're kind of teetering, and maybe you don't see the clinical signs yet. Uh, excuse me, maybe you don't see the clinical signs yet, but um, you are starting to uh, you kind of see the tip of the iceberg there. Um, and, and, and that's really important because, um, you know, it's really important to understand that a lot of treatments, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a veterinarian, and, and poultry are very challenging to treat effectively. 
Um, they are not like cows. If you, if you just, they, they, in spite of us, cows will usually get better. Um, and, and dogs and cats are, are, are usually very good patients. Birds are, are not. And, and in general, birds can be very <laughs> challenging to treat. Um, and, and you don't get the, always the result that you want. And even when they get better, they're, they're still kind of teetering a little. Um, so it's just really important to kind of focus on that first thing, which is good husbandry. If you have good husbandry, um, you can prevent a lot of this stuff from happening in the first place. And when this stuff does happen, sure, there's things you can do. Um, sure, you can also go to a veterinarian and, 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 and have some you know, surgeries done for some of these prolapse vents, which I'll talk about. And there's other things you can do at home, which I'm comfortable with people doing if they're you know, if they're um, motivated to do so. Um, but, but it can, it, usually those things don't always end well in the long term. So uh, just something to think about there. So when we think about prolapses, I mean, there's, there are a couple different types of prolapses. There's these kind of cloacal, cloacal excuse me, and uterine um, prolapses. I'm not going to go too much in the difference between the two of them um, because I think that's uh, slightly academic for, for our purposes here. Um, but usually in backyard poultry, when you start seeing prolapses, you're starting to see kind of tissue from the inside that's kind of stuck on the outside. And that tissue from the inside that's prolapsed, that's fallen out of, of the bird's vent area, um, can be um, part of the GI tract. It can also be part of the uterus and part of the, uh, part of the vagina. Um, so it's important to kind of understand that that is um, something that you will see. Um, and why is that a problem? Well, the, first and foremost, you know, that, that's tissue that, that, that should be on the inside of the bird, not on the outside of the bird. Um, that can also lead to problems, including um, hens being egg-bound. Um, if hens are egg-bound, that can also lead to prolapses. So there is kind of this uh, relationship between uh, having a prolapse and being egg-bound and being egg-bound and having a prolapse. The, the real risk, among other things, is that um, when that tissue is prolapsed, um, birds are very curious and they like to peck um, all kinds of things. And as they peck that tissue, um, they can cause that tissue to bleed. And when they cause that tissue to bleed, that usually leads to kind of cannibalistic kind of um, events. So birds are very attracted to blood. Um, so things that are red typically cause birds to be a little more aggressive. Um, that's why, you know, going back to the lighting thing, that's why it's really interesting that you can we can really start dialing in, um, you know, what wavelength of light that we want to give birds um, as opposed to a kind of a broad spectrum. Now we can kind of turn blues on more and turn reds down a little more. Um, and there's advantages of that from a behavior and production and welfare perspective. So that LED thing that's that's really coming um, in the commercial world that's, I think, going to start moving over into the backyard world, I think is really um, exciting and interesting. Um, so it's really important then if you get that kind of picking at that vent area um, that you're aware that you sh you should you need to isolate those birds um, so you can prevent that kind of cannibalistic behavior. The other things you kind of want to look for, obviously, if you see tissue um, where there's you know tissue that looks like it's on the inside that's on the outside, that's a prolapse, and that happens. That's that's somewhat common, um, and there's a lot of reasons that happens that we'll we'll talk about in a, in a few minutes. But the other things you want to kind of look for are. Um, again, if you see um, maybe a mild prolapse, if you see a bird that's straining, um, that could be kind of that relationship between the prolapse and the, and the birds being egg-bound. If you see soiled feathers around the vent, um, that kind of pasty butt type thing, um, that's also a pretty common side, uh, um, clinical sign associated with prolapsed uh, vent. Um, and then the last thing is really just if you have a foul odor, 
Um, so some of these clostridial bacteria, which are, are not pretty nasty and, and not, don't smell very good, um, they can uh, proliferate in that type of environment. And it's also important um, to look for um, droppings that have uh, streaked blood in them because um, that can also be kind of a, a sign. So, you know, the big picture thing, when we think about that, the first thing that we really wanted to focus on, proper husbandry, it's so important not just to go into your coop every day and just feed the birds and water them and, and, and collect eggs. It's really important to look at the birds themselves, uh, to look at their vents. You don't have to look at all the birds' vents, but to look at a handful of the birds' vents um, to make sure that they're, the birds seem bright, alert, and responsive. Those are the things, you know, the earlier you can get um, – you know, any kind of, you can observe any kind of difference or anything that's abnormal, um, the, 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 the more potential you have um, for, um, you know, a good outcome. And it's really important to focus, especially on young flocks. Um, so the prolapse vent especially, that's, that's much more common in young hens that have started laying too soon. Um, there are some genetic components to it. So I, I know uh, backyard poultry owners, it's, it's amazing the variety of species they have. Um, so this is one of those kind of areas where it's good to communicate with, you know, all your peers and to kind of understand what are the advantages and disadvantages to a breed. There's no perfect breed, obviously, so we kind of want to have at least an idea about that. And then when hens lay eggs too soon, so typically, and again, this is kind of a breed kind of issue, but also related to light. So if we did use too much light, if we did feed our birds too much, um, our birds, you know, what are the, how do birds become... How do pullets become hens? Well, they have to be um, uh, reproductively able to produce eggs. Well, what's the best predictor of when a hen produces an egg? The best predictor is, um, is weight. So if we keep their weight at an appropriate level, um, or if their weight is too high, is probably the better example, they can become reproductive um, too early, and they can, they can start producing eggs at maybe... 16 weeks or 15 weeks, and, and we would think that, well, that's a great thing. They're producing eggs, you know, already. Uh, but the reality is if they produce them too early, um, they can have, among other things, uh, these prolapse vents because, in part, the tissues are probably not ready yet to kind of withstand the kind of the, 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 the trauma associated with, with uh, laying an egg every 25 hours. So it's really important to kind of realize that, and that's why we don't want to overfeed our, hen, our hens or our pullets um, and that's why it's really important that we don't uh, feed them chicken scratch, for example, because that, that's, you know, the equivalent, as you always hear, of like eating um, um, kind of potato chips and things like that. Um, so let's say you do have one of these kind of um, prolapses. Um, so what are the things that you might want to do? So, you know, I'm always, I'm a veterinarian, so I'm always a fan of people going to a veterinarian, having at least a, a good relationship with a veterinarian. Um, so it's important to always um, at least be able to consult with a veterinarian before you do any of these things. And, and I'm a vet. I'm an extension. So um, a lot of times I'll get people that will call, and those are always good things. And, and depending on the relationship you have with your veterinarian, sometimes they can try to you know, walk you through certain things. Um, going back to the causes before I kind of go over some of the real simple things that you might want to consider, um, you know, just remember that, that again, that, to that first and foremost point about proper husbandry, it's really important to make sure that your bird's behavior is, is, is you're doing everything you can to make sure the birds are, 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 um, are, are you're not having behavior problems, that you're having, that your nutrition is, is, is appropriate, um, that the lighting that you're using is appropriate, not too much, not too little, um, that uh, you're not getting um, early egg laying, um, which is one of the more common predictors of, of prolapse. 
um, and that you're also not getting uh, double yokers. So double yokers can sometimes be associated with too much light. Um, so uh, that's a good thing to keep uh, keep a hold of. Um, egg peritonitis. So sometimes when they have an infection um, in their reproductive tract, that can also lead to, um, which makes a lot of sense, that can also lead to um, these prolapses um, and other infections. And sometimes birds do get cancer or other masses, and that can also contribute um, to these prolapses. So um, it, it's really important, again, to think about the husbandry issue um, as opposed to just thinking like, okay, I've got a bird with a prolapse, what do I do with it now? Um, that, that's obviously what consideration you want to have, but you want to think about the big picture too. And the reality is if you have, you know, five birds or 10 birds or 20 or 50 birds, um, the reality is, is that, man, if you have to deal with prolapses in, in, in you know, 50% of those birds, that's a lot of work. And, and that's going to be, um, at some level, it's going to be a fool's errand. It's going to be one of these things that you're just not going to be very successful with, and, and, and you, you're not dealing with the root problem, which I think is the, um, you know, the thing to focus on. So when you, when you do see these prolapses, um, you know, again, you want to isolate them so um, the bird has time to recover. And one thing that I am comfortable with, with people doing um, is to you know, put on a latex glove and um, get some, um, some lube. They can get a swab that's lubricated, um, and they can uh, gently try to, um, um, to, to, to have that, that tissue um, inserted. Don't use your finger because um, that's usually too, um, too blunt. Um, but if you can keep the tissue clean, so if the tissue is really dirty, it's really important to, um, um, to use um, some type of either gauze pad or just a squirt, like a, a, a saline solution, um, on that tissue to get whatever um, you know dirt is on there, and then um, you can gently replace that tissue using that uh, that 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 lubricated swab. Some people will use a finger, but I, I'm always afraid that people will be a little too forceful at that point. So the lubricated swab, I think, is a way to kind of make sure that their people are being a little more gentle. Um, there are some um, um, things you can actually add on to that swab, that lubricated swab. So there is. Um, a um, um, an ointment called DMSO. That's uh, for those of you that are horse people, you might be familiar with that. Um, so DMSO is a topical um, applicant, and you can add that to your your lubricated swab, and um, that can help reduce swelling. Um, and and some, sometimes the hard part is that you have all this swollen tissue that is prolapsed, and and it, it, it's very difficult to get that tissue back in. Um, so the DMSO can help reduce the swelling, so then when you add the swab and the DMSO together, you can kind of try to gently push things back in um, to where they're going. So I'm, I'm comfortable if people are, are, are cautious with people trying that. A, a veterinarian would, would do the same thing, and in all honesty, unless it's a veterinarian that does this all the time, they're, they're slightly inexperienced at this also. Um, where the vet comes in, in my mind, is suture placement. Um, so you can um, put like what's called like a stay suture um, to reduce the cloacal opening, um, and and that can reduce the um, that can that can allow kind of that tissue to kind of re um, implant itself inside the body of the hen um, instead of um, instead of just pushing it back in and then coming out there again and being like oh gosh now we have another prolapse again. So that, that's a little more challenging um, just because you have to know kind of what tissue needs to be sutured together. Um, but that, that is something that can be considered um, um, and is, is probably um, by itself is a little more efficacious than just doing the, um, 
the uh, inserting the tissue back in with the with the lubricated swab. Um, so when you do have much more persistent ones, um, you can do other types of procedures. I'm not going to go into too much detail on that because now you're dealing with you know kind of more specialist type folks. Um, uh-huh. But it's also important to realize that when you get this, um, you know, you, you want to look at the underlying causes. Is there nutrition issues? Is there um, any kind of egg binding that's going on? So, so the last thing you want to do is, is, is put that, you know, think that you, you, you've got the prolapsed uh, vent area. You use the lubricated swab. You push it back in. And then you basically just, um, you know, try to – you have a hen that's egg-bound, um, which is basically just a way of saying that the egg is, is kind of stuck in the reproductive tract and you haven't done anything to address the root problem, which is the, the hen that's egg-bound. Um, so that's the other thing that kind of, you know, this kind of interplay between these prolapses and these egg-bound hens. Um, and the egg-bound hens, that is an emergency. That is an important thing to address. Uh, the worst-case scenario, and this happens very often, is that those eggs can crack, um, and when they do crack, um, that is this, you know, you're at the kind of terminal end of the GI tract there, slash reproductive tract, and all the bacteria in the GI tract then are going to move into the reproductive tract, and that bird is going to die of an E. coli infection. And that happens really quickly. Um, so it's really important when you're when you're when you're thinking about the, when you're looking at the prolapse issue that you're also trying to very gently palpate the hen's abdomen to see if you can feel an egg that feels like it's egg bound there. Um, and then that situation, that's where um, you don't want to use any kind of suture. Um, you don't probably want to push that tissue back in. You want to deal with the um, the issue of um, uh, the egg-bound kind of component. And egg-bound hens, you know, we talked about some of the causes of, of prolapses. So some of the causes are very similar for, for, for eggs, for hens being egg-bound, but a lot of it's also related to calcium. So this is, you know, reason number 117 why you really want to stick with a a layer ration as opposed to, you know, people getting really creative or trying to think, you know, hey, we'll get rid of all these kitchen scraps. So that's great to do that. But the reality is if a hen eats about 110 grams of feed every single day, if we're giving 20 or 30 or 40 percent of that diet as something that's not their layer diet, then they're definitely not getting the amount of calcium that they need to get. If they're not getting the amount of calcium, they can get hypocalcemic, which is a fancy way of saying that their their blood levels of calcium that can be low. That can cause what's called calcium tetany. Sometimes you might see that in cattle, but they have like little spasms basically. Um, but even if you don't see that, what that ca- what that can cause is if they have too low of of a calcium level, that 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 is one of the uh, things that doesn't allow hens to lay their eggs properly. Um, so diet is so important for, for these egg-bound hens, uh, especially as these hens get older. Um, you know, they're, um, it becomes much more um, important because um, eggs get bigger and bigger and bigger, and the, um, um, the, 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 the reproductive tract, the, the, that, 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 the width of that reproductive tract is not getting bigger and bigger. So it's really important that we do everything we can to make sure that we're kind of facilitating um, um, the um, that egg uh, being um, being laid by that by that hen. Um, again, with egg-bound hens, if you just like we talked about with um, um, uh, the prolapses, it's really important to realize that um, if 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 you start egg production prematurely, egg-bound hens uh, you're, you're more likely to have um, hens that are egg-bound. Um, and it's also important to realize as hens get obese. 
Um, and that happens a lot in backyard poultry. Again, they are more likely to be um, egg-bound. So that's, again, why we don't want to uh, utilize, unless under very rare conditions, um, utilize chicken scratch. Um, so we want to make sure they're getting the right amount of calcium. We want to make sure that they're getting the right amount of calories. Um, and those are the, 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 the best things that we can do to kind of make sure that um, these birds are not, um, are, are not being egg-bound. Um, as yeah, far as... I like Sorry. I like that reason number because we oh my gosh Tom blue in the face reason number four million eight hundred and sixty three to you know the layer the layer pellets reason four hundred and eighty five thousand of you know the limiting the scratch and treats and so so the calcium let me just ask this really quick because I know if it went through my mind it went through other minds when you were talking about this <laughs> I think the general census is because we have the uh, poultry nutritionist, lots of letters after the name, you know, really designing this feed for our poultry. And we'll keep it at backyard, not commercial. You know, we buy the bag of feed and then we bring it home. It's in the pellets. I think that's designed to, you know, have enough calcium for your backyard birds. But um, but yet then you see uh, right there on the shelf, you know, you've got the oyster shell. We're going to read feed back the, the egg shells. We want to put them in the people who put them in the oven and dry them out and brush them up and give them back. Um, is, do you think, because you do a lot of backyard poultry too, Doc, and, and do you think um, that, hmm, is that, do you think we need to, simple question I got, do you think we need to have, say, a smaller little feeder free choice of, oyster shell, or, or, or do, you, do you think, for the most part, from what you've seen across the board, um, is that overkill, um, other than just really looking at the signs, because there may be signs that the average backyard keeper is just not going to see, other than really weak shells when they go to crack them open or something, but for the most part, I guess, is it safe to assume that the layer pellets really, for the most part, have enough calcium that our birds need at the end of the day, and, and, and we probably don't need to add the, um, say, the extra calcium, extra eggshells fed back to them, or the um, uh, oyster shell, or, or it's like maybe your opinion is, well, if you start having those weak shells when you're cracking them open, or you know, then maybe that that's the time you want to add maybe a little extra for, for the issue. Do you think, I'm just wondering if people are giving too much calcium because they they have the, the oh because you, you see it all the time they need the uh, cal I've always been told it's it's in the laying pellets that and unless you have an issue or have those continual weak shells that are just brittly weak then, then that but what's your opinion on that let's let's just for a second deviate and talk about that because that's a big topic too um, that could probably be a whole show but what say you on that it, it, in your opinion there's enough in the feed where we don't need to continually give it all the time or only give it if we see some issues and that issue may be weak eggshells we're breaking them or what say you on, on that the, the calcium yeah, debate yeah you said a lot there so and I, I, I completely <laughs> yeah. agree in the sense that um, you, you can just like light you can give too much calcium so uh, the reality is you, you want to follow um, and not, not to sound like a, like a broken record but you want to follow like the total mixed ration and what I so that's basically whatever layer diet that you're um, that you're feeding your birds and then to your point I think that's a great point is that let's say you did find like man I'm getting these really thin shelled eggs lately um, these birds are older, maybe they're not absorbing it as much. You know what? I'm going to now kind of top dress the feed with some, some oyster shell. 
um, and see if that helps out. That's, I, in my mind, completely appropriate. Starting kind of from scratch with that, I, I feel like, eh, that's probably a little overkill. That being said, oyster shell is really interesting. So um, a lot of the layer diets um, already have oyster shell in them, uh, the commercial layer diets for backyard birds. And the, and the nice part about that is that, so it turns out that oyster shell, when, when the birds eat it, it, it slowly absorbs from their GI tract into um, their, their, the rest of their body. And then that, that calcium, obviously, and that phosphorus then is used um, by the egg gland um, to make the, the shell itself. So it turns out that when hens uh, have the highest demand for calcium is when that oyster shell is dissolving from the GI tract into um, into the, the circulatory system, and then it gets distributed into, among other places, into the, the, um, into the eggshell gland where it gets uh, laid down an eggshell. So the timing is actually pretty good. So it's not just when you're getting, um, you know, if you talk to a nutritionist, they would say it's not just the amount of calcium you're getting, but sometimes the form that the calcium's in. And oyster shell, because it takes a little longer to dissolve and to break down, that gives them this kind of bolus of calcium you know, between like midnight and two in the morning or something like that when they, when they need it the most. Um, and that allows them to utilize that calcium really easily for their egg gland. And birds are really interesting. They're very altruistic in the sense that even if, they're, if they are hypocalcemic, it doesn't matter. The calcium goes to the shell. So they're, they're, they're focusing on the egg more than they're focusing on their own health. So they can become hypocalcemic pretty quickly. Um, and pretty easily, and, and you might not even realize it because the shell, you're like, oh, the shells look great. Um, but the bird's hypocalcemic because the bird's prioritizing where it's sending its calcium. And the first priority, for better or for worse, is, you know, offspring or, or you know, these, these, these eggs that you uh-huh. might eat. So um, it is kind of an interesting kind of um, that, that, that the form of the calcium kind of matters a lot um, in, 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 um, in, in, in poultry nutrition. Does that answer your That's question? That's interesting. Hey. It did, yeah, absolutely. I just I, I see it so much. I feel like the folks are maybe just overdoing it because it's just, oh, we give oyster shell. Or you should give oyster shell for every little issue they may have, and and, and I just feel like it may be overused out there in the in the backyard market because they see it sitting on the shelf and then they'll see a blog post about it or something, and and um, it, I just concern about it being given uh, too much too much to the birds. Hey, let me take yeah, a and, quick and, break and oh, then we'll come back. Right. You go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you you can get the equivalent of kidney stones in 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 birds if you feed, feed them too much calcium too. So that's that's to that point of what you can feed them too much. So you have to be cautious about that. Gotcha. Alrighty, thanks, folks. If you are just turning uh, tuning in, uh, no worries. The show will be archived after we finish. You can listen to the entire broadcast in its full length um, a little bit after we end the show. But we're talking today with poultry veterinarian epidemiologist Dr. Maurice Potesky on three very important topics: prolapse vent, the vent gleat, and egg binding. And we will return after this short break from our sponsor. Stay with us. I'm about to say something that may shock you. There's a chance the mealworm treats you're feeding your chickens are doing them more harm than good. Most of the mealworms sold in the U.S. are hollow and empty because of how they're processed, leaving them with little or no nutritional value. The problem is chickens love healthy insects like mealworms, but there hasn't been a way to get access to them in large quantities. Until now. The only mealworm company I endorse is The Honest Worm because of the way they raise and process their mealworms. Now, they've set aside some bags only for my listeners to try for free. Just cover the cost of shipping and handling. Head on over to freemealworms.com. 
That's freemealworms.com. If you don't see sold out at the top of the page, that means there's still some bags left, but only for a limited time. Go to freemealworms.com and get your free bag today. Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Actually, in reality, I am Super Chicken. 
All right, thank you so much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Again, we're talking with poultry veterinarian and epidemiologist Dr. Maurice Petesky, prolapse vent, uh, egg binding, and vent leet are our topics today, and I'll turn it right back over to you, Dr. Uh, Petesky. Great. So uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about was vent gleet, um, which is also uh-huh. called thrush. So I have to plead uh-huh. ignorance, and I never heard that term before, uh, vent gleet. So I'm, I'm curious, Andy, is that is that a normal um, kind of chicken, backyard chicken term, or is that, uh, it, it, is that it, some it, it vocabulary? Is. You, you hear that a lot on the blogs and the forums. You'll see a blog about vent gleet, or you'll see somebody, hey, I have vent gleet, or someone will, will list a whole length, lengthy type of symptoms, uh, signs and symptoms, and then they'll be like, oh, that must be vent gleet. So uh, it is pretty prevalent out there in the backyard forums and blogs, and, and people reply with that when they, you know, think something's wrong with the vent. That's normally a term they'll throw out there. <laughs> huh, interesting. Well, you learn something every day. So that was good to that was good to learn. Um, awesome. Um, so it, it is uh, thrush, and, and thrush is, is just a, an, another term uh, for a yeast infection from a yeast called uh, candidae. So we'll just term it, term it, term it thrush. But the, 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 if you're if you're kind of nerdy and you want to look it up, it would be candidae. Is the the genus and the species is albicans, uh, which is the, uh, the the species of the of the yeast, um, and um, it's also called crop mycosis um, or thrush. Um, and it's usually you get these kind of um, uh, inflamed, uh, using a fancy word, lesions in the in the crop and the mouth um, and the and the pharynx, kind of the, the the tissue that's right behind the mouth and the esophagus. Um, and it's it's not a, a huge problem in the commercial um, kind of poultry industry. It is kind of interesting. It is a um, it's a a yeast that's actually commensal. So that's just a fancy way of saying. It's it's actually probably in most of our birds already, um, and then something um, changes um, in their like their gut, um, for example, that the, the maybe they get an antibiotic or um, maybe they've ex- been exposed to a pathogen, and then uh, this thrush organism, this yeast organism, proliferates from there, and it kind of changes the microbial ecology of the gut, and, and when you have too much of something, that, that causes a bunch of, of problems, including, um, in some really advanced cases, diarrhea. Um, but birds can be um, uh, listless or depressed, uh, decreased appetite, um, decreased growth, uh, ruffled feathers. A lot of times you'll see it in younger birds, um, especially, I, I would imagine, in a backyard setting, you would see it where um, you have older and, you know, most backyard birds have these kind of mixed-age flocks. So you can imagine having that kind of scenario where some older birds get some younger birds sick, um, and the younger birds now are, are a little more susceptible to disease in some cases than some of the older, healthier birds or, 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 or adult birds. Um, and you can have um, this kind of proliferation of these uh, yeasts that occur. Um, the one thing I really wanted to stress about it, so, so um, this is a, a really interesting topic in my mind because I think, um, you know, when we think about, I think sometimes people get really aggressive with uh, using antibiotics um, and other types of supplements because we just think that, okay, we're gonna, we want to make our birds better. Um, we don't exactly know what the problem is, but we're going to give them antibiotics. So, so let's say we're treating, we don't, let's say we have a, a bird that's got diarrhea and it's got thrush, but we don't know that. So we're like, you know what, I'm just going to go to the feed store, I'm going to go online, I'm going to get some antibiotics, and I'm gonna, my bird's going to be better. 
Um, worst case scenario, nothing bad's going to happen. Well, the reality is something bad can happen because now if you give antibiotics, now you're driving down so some of the bacterial population. So what do you think is going to happen to the yeast population? The yeast population is like, oh, great, we've got even more room to proliferate and grow and divide and grow and divide. So you're actually going to make things worse. Um, so it's really important, you know, this is why in a perfect world we always want to try to get some kind of diagnosis so we can kind of, you know, do no harm. So at, at the worst, we're not going to make things worse. And that can happen if we treat a yeast infection with an antibiotic. Um, and in addition, you know, some of the antifungal drugs, th- those are pretty harsh drugs. Um, and, you know, I'd be a little concerned about using them because of withdrawal periods in hens and eggs. Um, to the best of my knowledge, I don't know if there are any medications that are approved by FARAD. That's the, the thing that Dr. Tell talked about a couple of weeks ago, the Food Animal right. Residue Avoidance Data Bank. I don't know if there are any antifungal drugs that you can use in layer birds um, without any withdrawal period. Um, so that would be something to contact FARAD about. And then the reality is, um, you know, the, 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 even if you did find something, um, those antifungal drugs are, are, are probably kind of a waste of money um, because you, you really want to focus probably on 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 some of the the, the, um, the husbandry going back to that kind of that focal area. Um, those treatments, probiotics might be an interesting thing to consider. Um, there's not a lot of literature on that, but it, it would make you know biological sense. So. Um, if you um, notice some of the lesions, and you obviously can't describe this over the phone, but if you notice some of these kind of uh, inflamed areas in the mouth and the esophagus um, and your, your veterinarian says, like, yeah, that might be thrush, um, you know, probiotics could be kind of an interesting direction to go into. Um, copper sulfate is commonly used, um, so you can look at the, the proper dilutions of copper, uh, copper sulfate um, um, in, in drinking water. Uh, for the prevention um, and treatment, um, but um, that also can be a little controversial. I, I think what I'm kind of getting at is that, um, you know, treating birds for a disease, as, as we've talked about in the past, can be challenging. Um, it doesn't always mm-hmm. give us the result that we want. Sometimes we make incremental, um, we have some kind of incremental success, and then we have to decide, like, okay, is this something that we want to continue or um, what do we want to do at that point? I think that the real focus needs to be on you know, having a high standard of sanitation. Uh, if we stop those you know, bacterial um, infections from, from really occurring, we can kind of control these. So using the proper disinfectants, using proper husbandry. Um, and then you know, going back to you know, the thing that I always talk about every, every, uh, every radio show, focusing on biosecurity, focusing on, on making sure that diseases that are in wildlife are not moving into our um, into our birds, um, so that's the, the really important things about about thrush that I really wanted to um, discuss. Okay, hey, um, I, I know you are a huge contributor to um, Chicken Fact or Chicken Poop, and it's a it's, it's an awesome book, folks. You can find it at Tractor Supply and Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, and of course on Amazon. But uh, while you were discussing that, I kind of uh, I googled Vinkleet. Uh, and I'm going to run this this, <laughs> this home remedy by you. Treatment for vent bleed includes offering a molasses flush consisting of uh, – <laughs> I'm glad you laughed. I'm glad you laughed. Um, <laughs> offering a molasses flush consisting of a half a cup of molasses per gallon of water, free choice, for several hours, and then replace. 
uh, replaced with fresh plain water, and then adding, here's the miracle drug, adding two to four tablespoons of gallon of apple cider vinegar with <laughs> the mother to the, to the water. And then, of course, we got to have this, one tablespoon of plain unflavored yogurt per day. So that this is, this is exact, I'm reading it right from a blog, treatment includes a molasses flush, apple cider vinegar, and a teaspoon of yogurt. And there you oh, have great. it, folks. That's why, <laughs> that's why we that's do great. this show. <laughs> that's why we well, have a the, the sugar will definitely make things worse because now you're, you know, when you look at the medias that these yeast grow on, they have sugars in them. So molasses is probably the, the worst possible thing you can do. Um, so it is, it, is, it, is, it is interesting what people, uh, you know, anecdotally try to come up with sometimes. But uh, like I've told you before, if someone wants to give me, uh, you know, a lot of money to do a research project um, <laughs> on apple cider vinegar, I, I, I would do it. We just need, uh, unfortunately, several hundred thousand dollars to do those type of studies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, um, oh, my goodness gracious. So I, I just I saw that and I said, well, this Perfect timing, um, uh, an example of why we preach what we preach. And people get tired of hearing me saying, "Hey, ditch the blogs, ditch the forums." You know, there's plenty of resources out there where you can get the, the good information for your for your backyard flock. So I had to add that in there. But um, wow, what a fabulous show covering three, uh, I think, very important topics that come up quite a bit. And uh, now we've got some information about how and why and, and what to do about it and the whole nine yards. So, um, Dr. Pateski, thank you so much for, for coming on. This was this was a great show. And, of course, the first 20 minutes of the show, we talked about <laughs> uh, animal insect protein for feed. So they got a bonus today. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. So we, we went down that, so that might be for a good show uh, later on. So, uh, hey, thank you so much again for coming on. It's always um, a fabulous show. Folks, the third Thursday of every single uh, month. Um, no, no, the second the second Thursday of every month, uh, Dr. Pateski comes on the show. And you can see his work in Chicken Whisperer Magazine and, of course, huge contributor to Chicken Factor, Chicken Poop, which you can find at retailers everywhere. Um, Dr. Pateski, thank you very much for coming on, and we'll see you next month. Great. Thanks for having me. Take care. Great. Thank you, thank you so much. Uh, I love it when Maurice is on because it's just it's fabulous. What I mean, poultry veterinarian, epidemiologist, and he comes on and tells us like it is what we really need to know. And then when I share a treatment, which is labeled treatment, on a chicken blog, and not only does he giggle, but then he backs it up with, "Well, the sugar is the last thing you want to give," and then it's molasses. It's uh, Perfect example. I know you folks get tired of me saying ditch the blogs, ditch the forums, and get science-based, fact-based, study-based information. I know you get tired of it, but i got to keep harping on it because of this exact example, folks. i got to do it. So Chicken Whisperer Magazine, you can subscribe to the digital edition for free, chickenwhisperermagazine.com. Uh, you've got the book, The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, uh, co-authored by a poultry scientist. You've got the uh, Chicken Factor, Chicken Poop book, uh, co-authored by poultry nutritionists, poultry scientists, poultry veterinarians, uh, and other researchers um, uh, in the poultry industry. Uh, we're working on a third book now, Waste-Free Chicken Keeping, Is There Such a Thing? Uh, co-authored by uh, Dr. McRae over at Auburn University. And then uh, you got the podcast that we do 
every single Thursday where we talk about this stuff uh, where you don't have to worry about if the information is correct or not. So thank you so much for tuning in, and I uh, hope you can visit us. You can get all the links to anything we do at chickenwhisperer.com. And I hope you're safe, and um, we will see you next Thursday right here on Blog Talk Radio. Let's see, next Thursday we will have a poultry scientist um, and, uh, and, and microbiologist, Dr. Bridget McCray on. Don't have a topic yet, but I guarantee it will be something that will interest you uh, and your backyard flock. So until then, I'm the Chicken Whisperer, and I'll see you next time. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.